Good afternoon and welcome to Open Air and good afternoon, Ashwini. Hey, Michael. Hi. Uh, before I start, I just want to encourage folks to get in the queue. And I have an announcement here, Ashwini. Wonderful. Thank you, Michael. Sure. Distraction, control, feeling bad, and comparison. Some of egocentric, karmic conditioning, self-hate's favorite bamboozles. Join Sangha for four Sunday workshops in June to explore how ego uses these tactics to keep us in suffering. The workshops are offered on a donation basis. And for this and other practice opportunities, visit livingcompassion.org. And some reminders for tonight, if you'd like to get in the queue to talk with Ashwini, please press star six and then one to make a show. And a conversation on one topic, please, in about five minutes is fabulous. Okay, Ashwini, I think we are ready here. Great. First caller, you are now live on the air, and would you please introduce yourself? Hello, um, this is Andrea calling. Hey, Andrea. Hi. Um, Yeah, I'm calling because um, I would like some guidance um, on a process that I have that has been causing me quite a bit of suffering. Uh Uh-huh. And so... (laughs) It involves my son. Um, He has a lot of issues with school. He's a junior now, and um, I don't want to go into a long story, but um, he has real problems with learning. Um, He's been, was diagnosed years ago with ADHD, and um, we had basically been, um, how do I say it? Well, it's been a struggle for years and years, and the pandemic made everything much, much worse. And um, we recently relocated, and at this point he's 17, and neither my husband nor I um, even enrolled him in school um, in our new location. And um, he, of his own accord, said he wanted to go to school. And um, so we enrolled him in this... um, private school that we thought would be the only chance you would have at success and he's really struggling and he tells us he wants to go to college um, but he is really really struggling and he has a lot of low self-esteem and all kind and issues because of that and he has a really good heart and there's a part of him that really wants to succeed But I think what happens is that he gets really, he just can't do the work. He can't focus. He gets um, really upset, and then he stops reaching out, and he clams up and basically does coping behavior, which is just not helping. And so I notice this process of when I feel like he's identified with, um, this kind of behavior that I get really identified. And mm-hmm. so it's caused me a huge amount of suffering and struggle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you have a sense of what the identification is? 
um, his or mine. <laughs> what are you identi- yours? What are you identified with? Um, I'm identified with a lot of self-hate and anger that I project outward and um, that basically frustration and anger and um, and, and I, if you were doing a process map, uh, Andrew, when you say angry, that can mean many different things to many different people. So if there was language to anger, what would the voices actually say? Um, they'd say all kinds of... You doing a process map. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think they'd say all kinds of accusing things like, you know, terrible things about him, you know, like he's... He'll, he'll, he's a loser, he doesn't care, he, he's, um, I'm tired of supporting him, he'll be out on his own soon, I can't stand this anymore. You know, just terrible, hateful things. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and so the frust- what's frustration, what are the words for frustration? The frustration is that, um, that since since the pandemic, it's just been a three-year, um, what it tells me is a three-year horror show. And he lost all his friends. He, um, having no routine, terrible for a kid in his situation. He doesn't cope well. Um, and the saddest thing all, all is that he's really, really bright. But he, uh-huh. can't, he can't do school. That, that's what uh-huh. goes on in my head. <laughs> if he can't do school, and your frustration, what's the language of your frustration? That, that, that here's, is, it, is it a sense of helplessness? It's a sense of, it's a sense of just being tired of the whole thing, of, you know, uh-huh. it's been dragging on for three years. It never seems like it's going to end. Like, I thought he turned over a new leaf. He was really happy to move um, back to California to be near his, you know, our friends and family, and, you know, he said he wants, <laughs> wants to go to a UC school, mm-hmm. and, you know, but, and then he, you know, he was, he was eating much better, he lost a bunch of weight, and, and he's opened up to us, and things are a lot better than they were, but he still can't do the schoolwork, and then he gets into this, you know, coping behavior where he just stares at a screen, and, and uses screen addiction to cope, and, so, so, so I just, so I guess, I, sorry, I was just going to say, I guess the frustration is just, you know, this is this endless, this endless pattern that it uh-huh. just never ends. I, I like what I hear is I can't stand it anymore. I've had enough. I can't deal. Uh-huh. And so it, the, the frustration is with the circumstances that are really, really challenging because here's the person, here's someone you love who's yeah. going through a really, really hard time. And no yeah. matter what he does and no matter what you do, it sounds like uh, the, the crux of the issue, which is his ability to be successful, is constantly being thwarted. And so there's a way in which there is a, a feeling of responsibility, a feeling of tiredness, a feeling of impotence, a feeling of overwhelm with the situation. Yeah? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and when, when will this sort of end? How will it be different? Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, so I, I project, Andrew, you've worked with this a lot in, in your practice and, and have taken it into two-handed recording. What have you seen as you've practiced with it that way? 
Um, well, yeah, so I'll do, you know, when I get really identified with it, I'll, I'll do two-handed recording and, um, you know, I'll just spew, you know, all the ugliness onto the recorder and then I'll listen and then I'll have more ugliness to spew and then I'll listen again and then there'll be more ugliness and finally I get to a point where, um, there's nothing left. It's all out. <laughs> and then I'm just mm-hmm. kind of like, less, not as identified as I was, but... You know, mm-hmm. that's important. So, it, yes, doing the right hand in order to make sure that all the energy of the identification is outside rather than building up in your head is so important. But yeah. what was what is the left hand available to you? Meaning, yes, you listen to what it is that that person is going through. But is there something that the left hand has been able to offer to the person who's going uh, to do it, to you? I, you know, I mean, usually, I don't know. Um, it's usually a situation where I think I just, you know, I get it all out and, I'm, and you know, and, and then I don't really, I get... I don't know, you know, because I also have this pattern of having to do it right. And then, you know, the belief is that the left hand should be offering me a miraculous solution or something. And mm-hmm. I don't really ever see that. I mean, you know, what, what I have seen is just that, well, you know, I'm in the dark room and that I'm looking at, I'm looking at, I'm looking through conditioning rather than at conditioning. And I'm disidentified enough to, to realize that, but, um, uh-huh. You know, there, there's usually so, not any other insight. <laughs> uh-huh. And so when you're working with the right hand, Andrea, and all of the the frustration and the anger are given voice, mm-hmm. do you ever move deeper past the identification to your actual experience, like what you're feeling, um, getting in touch with the human being who's being subject to that, right? Not just the identity, but the person who's actually struggling. Um, I'm not sure if I'm able to get there because what it feels like is I am the person, like I feel like I'm disidentified enough to know that that it's that there's a lot of self-hate and that, you know, there's a lot of anger and, but I don't, I don't feel like I ever get, you know, like I ever get, um, I mean, sometimes maybe I get in touch with, you know, as anger is a secondary emotion. Sometimes I do get in touch, you know, if I'm lucky, then I get in touch with, you know, hurt and sadness. And then, you know, I, I am, Mm -hmm. you know, in certain situations able to feel compassion, but like this last time it was more, um, that what got me out of it was, um, hearing about how he was crying, you know, with his teacher, and then I was just like, I couldn't be angry anymore. I, I, you know, I took completely got me out of the, the, the yeah. identification, and I felt compassion and sadness, and and um, felt uh-huh. like well, or you moved to love, right? Yeah. That here yeah. it touched you in the sense of here's it, it put you in touch with the love that you have. Yes. The love that you are, right? Love for this person who is your son. Yes. And that melted your heart. 
And yeah. so that's the curiosity I was having in this in the two-handed, right, Andrew? Because that level of compassion is something that cheating needs to also experience. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. That what? That the, that level of love. That the movement that happens in the left hand is the ability to see the person struggling with this situation right. from that same place of love. Because then your heart melts, right? Because then it doesn't become about fixing the situation or being the right person. It's just being with someone going through an experience. Right, right. So, so yeah, I think I see what you're saying. So it sounds like, if I'm understanding this correctly, that you're saying um, getting to the place where I'm able to feel compassion for this my the human myself who's going through this experience is that what you mean yes because when you if you oftentimes this is why there's one you, you can you can basically vent right yeah and then it's cathartic everything comes out right and so then there's nothing the energy is passed and you might at that point be disidentified because you've vented within quotes which right. simply means that you're not identified with the rage or the frustration or the anger. But right. that's not necessarily all we're going for with the recorder, right? Because you do want to disidentify, but you also want to transcend the suffering. Mm-hmm. And so if, I, if, I, if, if the right hand is simply allowed to vent, but there's no move, moving past that into getting in touch with what's really going on for you below that venting and being witnessed and being comforted and just seen for what you're going through, then the, the suffering doesn't end, right? Because here's the thing, Andrew, I mean, this often Sherry asks us to consider, it, you know, the situation we're in may never change. Right. Never. It could be your life circumstance for the rest of your life. Now, it's hard to imagine that but because life always changes, but the particular situation and the conditioning that gets triggered as a result of that is really what we want, want to end. And so the only choice I have is to change my relationship with the conditioning, with what I get triggered around because the situation is going to be the situation. Yeah, and that's why I'm asking for guidance because I, yeah. you know, at this point I'm not necessarily expecting any situation to change. What I, I'm tired of is this constant, you know, <laughs> this cyclical identification with, with, with the yeah. suffering. Yeah, with the suffering. And so, so perhaps one of those explorations could be to approach the two-handed in a slightly different way, right? Where it's not just getting out of the identification or getting out of that energy, but really, really turning the attention to what's going on for you, to that place that you experience, to the place of love that would allow you to witness the, the person who's having this experience the comfort she needs the reassurance that she needs the the ability to know that she's supported as she's going through it so all right so what comes up is um 
how do I do that? I there doesn't seem to be a template, and I don't know how to there do isn't, it. There isn't one. There isn't one. But but here's the thing: if you if you were let's just say you were not in a charge situation and you were attempting to facilitate somebody, not your son, who creates a whole bunch of triggering for you. But if there is a if if you were sitting with a friend, right? That place of openness would be how you would want to listen to to uh, to the right hand. Maybe that's a good place to start because if you're really listening from that place, perhaps you can see the struggle. Yeah. Um, well, you know what comes up is <laughs> more frustration because I feel like. I guess I feel like I have a hard time dropping that guard. Like I, I feel like it's really hard to get in touch with the love and compassion. And even if I'm comfortable with other people, you know, that it can be tough. Like I can listen, but I'm not feeling overwhelmed with compassion sometimes. You know, there's can be times where I'm just kind of, you know, doing it, but it's more like um, the movement. Yeah, it's more like it's more like like I'm a detached kind of therapist rather than you know feeling intense compassion. You, you know what I mean? And, and <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And and I I hear you right. And and you know what what it sounds like, right, Andrea? I mean, this is a this is not a uh, um, this is not received well by the identity identity, right? Mm-hmm. But we are. But when there when there's that level of resistance to compassion, you mm-hmm. know that this is where the work is. Mm-hmm. I mean, this kind of situation isn't given to us unless we have to learn something from it, right? Mm-hmm. And this that might be what you have to learn. I I I I'm recalling a similar workshop where every day it's like an ongoing ongoing interaction that causes deep levels of triggering and identification for me. It took years, literally, Mm. to keep working with it, to completely Mm. forgive the human being who gets identified and triggered in these interactions, Mm -hmm. to to be on her side no matter what. And to get past that identification that says you've got to do it right, that needs to be perfect, yeah. that there's a clinical relationship with this human incarnation, because that's a huge ego identity, right? The, the detachment is not the mentor by any stretches of imagination. It's somebody who condemns this, the way this person is dealing with the situation. Well, and it's also... And then it's frustrated by that. Yeah, and if and if, even if I get to that kind of therapist type persona, you know, the the the, it's more like what I feel. What's coming up when when I describe this is that it feels safe um, because I'm so analytical and so in my head. It feels like that's the safe part, you know, to just be to to you know just be listening and to be the therapist, but not to. Be feel you know not to be in touch with the strong feelings or the or the upset or the the heart of the person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and you might record from the from the perspective of the therapist. Yeah. What's her deal? What is she afraid of? What What is she protecting? Right. 
And yep. so I, I often think about uh, something Jenna often says, right? The portal is right here in wherever you are. So if mm-hmm. there is if if there is the resistance and the therapist wants to show up, let her give the therapist the right hand and let her speak. Mm. So that you, you get to understand what what that is about. What is that identity for? What's going on for her? Mm. Or what's going on underneath that identification that won't let her look at another human being with love? What is she surviving? Mm. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. I mean, this is the first time I've really seen this. So this is, mm-hmm. yeah, I haven't seen that persona, but I think I think I need to explore that some more because, yeah, I, yeah, I need to explore it. <laughs> Absolutely, and and Andrea, I know it 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 feels frustrating because there's there's somebody who really just wants to get out from underneath the, the conditioning, right? I wish yeah. this would stop. I wish this would end. That's all I want. And even if the situation changes, I, the, the conditioning is still very strong. It's a place of intense suffering. And so if, if, you, if you look at it from the perspective of this is your best opportunity to get past that conditioning to be truly free, mm-hmm. that perhaps is the motivation to help to help the person stuck in it, right? If for not, mm-hmm. not, nothing, if for nothing else, yeah. so that would be a perspective that would encourage you to not just do the right hand with all of those aspects that you discover, but also explore the left hand, because the the transcendence is in making that movement to the to the to the love and the compassion which can save the human. Because when we make that movement, we are that which can save, right? Mm -hmm. We are saved already. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so it's very, very interesting that the observation is the ego is allowed to give voice, but but there's such a level of control being exerted for the attention to move to a process of pure witnessing from a, from a place of love. Now, that's an interesting thing to explore, the yeah. hyper-controlled, uh, hyper-controlled by the ego, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and honestly, you know, I, I, as you said, I, I just don't, I want to be rid of the conditioning. And, and, I, and, I, right. and I want to be able to be, you know, coming from a loving place and compassion. And I feel, I, I feel that way right now to him. You know, I really do. I feel yeah. like almost tears in my eyes. Um, well, and, and, you know, Andrew, that's, so we could say you're feeling compassion, you're feeling love. It's motivated by the love for him. But that is yours, right? That's the compassion that you're experiencing as who and what you are. It just doesn't include yourself. It's a hard about turn that we, we have to practice doing. Yeah, you know, it's available to him, but it's not available to you. Yeah, it's it's so interesting because I've been doing this practice for over two decades, and I've made monumental pro- progress. I mean, I've gone from intense self hate, just horrible self hate, to now you know basically being detached and not believing it. And but it's still kind of like a kind of like numbness. I mean, it's certainly better than the self hate, but it's. Um, yeah. But yeah, well, we all get to that. 
that point in practice where going beyond self-hate is not just disinterest in the voices of self-hate, but it yeah. is a practice of getting to unconditional love. Right. Yeah, and I think that's probably the big <laughs> the big struggle is yeah, you I think you're right. I think I think ego is throwing everything at you to uh-huh. prevent you from that exploration. Interesting. So, okay. So basically doing more um, recording and listening. I, I, you know, I don't even think I've done process mapping around this, so maybe I'll do that. If you have any other suggestions. Well, well it's that place of, um, it's, an assi- it's an assignment for our year long this week, right? Which is dialogue with life, right? So that the, the thing that we're doing is being in touch with Love, kindness, patience, compassion, and getting to know that. It's a backdoor way to get to who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah? I mean, you could, you, could, you, could talk, you could talk about or talk to a plant, or you could... There's so many ways in which we do it in practice. Oh. One way is to get to, that, get to the eyes of love, right? Uh, yeah, I see, what, I see what you're saying, yeah. So, um, and then from that place, because you practice that movement, then maybe it's available to you when you get to the left hand. Mm. So you could try that. Oh, that's really, that's really interesting. Yeah, and I find that I am able to talk in an unconstrained, kiddish, um, like, you know, like non-constrained way to my cats, for example. You know, I'm able to do that. That's right. Yeah. yeah, or or your favorite tree or your favorite flower or whatever it is, yeah. then, you know, just spend time with that. Where's that sensation in your body? What's the color of that sensation? How does it feel? Mm-hmm. What, what is the experience of patience and generosity? Now, if, if that is what you turn your attention to when you listen to Andrea in the right hand, mm-hmm. then can you, can you come from that place mm. to see her that way? To see her from a place of generosity, from a place of patience, from a place of kindness, because you know how to make that movement to a cat or a tree or a dog or whatever else, your son. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I see. All right, well, this has been really helpful, and I'll. Well, yeah. keep us posted, Colin, I, and let us know how it's going. All right, thank you, Ashwini. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for joining us, Andrea. And Ashwini, I'm going to get your uh, guest here for our good news update. Oh, wonderful. All right. And Ashwini, I'm turning it over to you for good news update. Thanks, Michael. And welcome to Good News Updates with Living Compassion. And I'm my guest of honor is Sherry. Hey, Sherry. Hey, Ashwini. <laughs> I happen to know that you just came back from a long day of working meditation at the Four Acres Zen Center. Yes, I did. It, it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's delightful. It is so mm-hmm. much fun. We, we are, it's funny to say it that way. You know, we're getting so much done. But it certainly is, um, it certainly is an, an element of it, you know. Um, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. We, you know, we, we don't do things to get them done. We do things to enjoy them, and we are enjoying doing them, and it's really fun to have a massive list of tasks and be able to, you know, tick that one off and that one and that one, and, you know, the all, all of the little buildings are painted and all the floors are done. Well, they're painted too, and the beds are in, and, you know, um, yeah. So, well, we, we don't need to talk about that because... Yeah, and we're going to do that in the next blog. But yes, we're getting ready for the summer of Sangha, and we're very excited for people to be coming to uh, to visit us and uh, to get to be together again. Mm-hmm. Well, and that was so, sort of the subject of this good news update because, as you know, the the center is called the Four Acres Zen Center. It's not the Zen Monastery Peace Center. It's the Four Acres Zen Center. And so yes. that naming that naming convention was very intentional. It doesn't have a monastery in its title because uh-huh. the the place of practice that we're creating here in Scrim is a center and not a monastery, which is a very yes. interesting thing because this practice has always had a monastery, right? Residential monastic practice with monks practicing. And offering practice has been part of the history of this practice. And yes, for a very long time. New, right, for, for a very long time. Very I mean, we didn't time. start out that way. Yep. And so we're reverting mm-hmm. to a different model of practice. And I was wondering if mm-hmm. you could say a little bit more uh, in terms of, so perhaps what, is, what does it mean to practice monastically? And what does it mean to practice monastically when we have a center rather than a monastery? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. And um, so basically, it's always been the case that whenever anybody came to the monastery, uh, they were monks, right? Not just if they moved there uh, to do uh, extended training, but if you come for a weekend, right? As soon as you come through the gate, you are a monastic. And so what that basically means is that that you are leaving the world outside the gate, you're leaving the personality, who you are outside the gate, and now you're coming in uh, inside the gate uh, for the express purpose of devoting all, all, everything that you've got to, um, to awakening and ending suffering. And so there, in, that, in that regard, we'll be following all the same guidelines that we've always followed when we're on retreat or when we're at the monastery. Because that's, a, that's important to consider too. Anybody who's been on retreat with us, even if you haven't been to the monastery, you know what it's like. You know, the privileged environment and we do all of our communication through notes. We, we make gusho to one another rather than talking. We're not social at all. We keep custody of the attention, especially custody of the eyes. And so... Uh, it, in that regard, it'll, it will be exactly the same. The difference is that always before with the monastery, we had a group of resident monks who uh, took care of us. They they cooked and cleaned and um, and made everything beautiful and made everything work for us. And <laughs> and that's not the case any longer. So now it's it's very much the way it was. Uh, originally, when we had the original Zen Center in Mountain View, where the people 
who are a part of the Sangha, the people who practice together, maintain the place, take care of the place for ourselves and for one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it, what, what I heard you say, right, Jerry, that, the, that we can often say we're on retreat, but being on retreat is actually equal to doing practice monastically because the, the focus of the attention and the objective are waking up and ending suffering. That's all I'm doing. It's a singular focus. And that's the yes. focus that carries through regardless of whether we're practicing within quotes at the monastery or in a retreat space. And that will be yes. the focus as soon as anyone steps on the property at the Four Acres Zen Center. And as that's you said, correct. the only yeah. distinction is there's an additional piece of responsibility that everybody who uh, comes carries with them, which is if there's something to do to take care of the, the place of practice, then there's that participation as well. So yes, there are additional um, tasks or roles that we could play that we might be, uh, that might be by volunteer or be tasked to play because there's, a, there's that, that, that aspect of the monastery is not available at the, at the property. Yes, yes. And so, uh, for instance, we've already had a couple of uh, folks uh, contact us and say that they would like to come and spend a day or two dur- during, um, doing working meditation uh, on the property. And, that, and that's great because by the time this week uh, is complete, uh, we should have... Uh, ability in the mash tent for uh, formal sits. Uh, we'll have places where people can um, can be outside in, in nature and peace and quiet and that sort of thing. And so in that way, it, it, the lifestyle starts to feel um, quite monastic, right? So we, we mm-hmm. do sitting meditation, we do walking meditation, um, we, we uh, do working meditation, and we have we a little silence. group. Yeah, and, and, and a little group and some guidance if a person wants it, uh, and like that. So increasingly, we hope that people will come in that way um, and spend short periods of time. And, and we've even talked about uh, people taking a, a kind of a stewardship role for the center, even if they're living at a distance. So maybe uh, they, there's a a part of the the um, the center that they would like to be in charge of. Uh, for instance, we're going to um, grow lavender, of course, because we live in Squim, and you have to grow lavender if you live in Squim. It's just you know you kind of sign a contract when you move here, and um, so it, it, people could take uh, responsibility for maintaining if we uh, are successful and and create a lavender labyrinth then there would be maintenance on that and so there might be somebody who wants to take that on and make sure that 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 that, uh is is maintained right so it's not me or you or jan uh, or chris or somebody who's here uh, more of the time being responsible for every aspect of this maybe somebody takes one of the hermitages and they know that they're going to be here at least once a year and so when they're here they're going to make sure that that hermitage is up to snuff and <laughs> what needs to happen and make a little list for uh, how to take care of it, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's sort of, it's such, a, it's a, such an interesting opportunity. I think it was Bob who said that 
you know, a lot, a lot of people were not in on the creation of the monastery when it started. And mm-hmm. now there's an opportunity to, be, to participate in a phase of practice that is just beginning again, right? You might have yes. had that experience with the Mountain View Zen Center, but to be, um, to be you know, part, to, to, have, to be part of the Sangha in a way that different aspects of this property um, are yours to steward. And that's such yes. a, an interesting um, orientation. I mean, we, and, and as you said in your blog, it's going to evolve, right? So we're going to have yes. senses, and then we're going to have lavender labyrinths, and then we're going to have a meditation <laughs> hall, and then we might yes. have roads, and then we might have bamboo plants, and then we might have a courtyard that needs a steward. And that there is the ability to start to um, develop a relationship with the place of practice uh, which really, really sort of, I don't know what to say, how to say it, except Cantalomba is such a good example. It is our family. That is our place. Yes. Even if we're yes. thousands and thousands of miles away from it, our investment in um, everybody on that property gives us a relation, relating to it as ours. And, yes, we, yes. and that's the vision for the Four Acres Zen Center, that, that people actually embrace it as their place of practice rather than something that they just visit. Because at the monastery, even though you could visit and participate in working meditation, uh, and it is yours in some sense of the word, it's a very, very different relationship because most of the work for ca- caring for it was done by the monks. And so yeah. now we have yeah. a different opportunity available to Sangha to participate in that different way. Yes, and, and one other aspect of that. So right now, we're, you know, we're going full tilt um, on that place just to get it to the point that people can be there in some degree of comfort. Okay. So it's not like uh, when people arrive, gosh, there's nothing left to do. It's finished. Uh, we haven't even actually started on what what ultimately will be the the focal point of the of the center, right? Mm-hmm. The the beautiful building that we plan to um, to create there. And so when people come, um, or if even if you can't come, <laughs> you know we'll have it all um, on the on the website. But uh, pictures, drawings that uh, Chris is doing of the building as we, as we develop it, as we say, well, this and this and this, and, and where, where is it going to be positioned and how is it going to be this and what do we need to plant? So all of that is going to happen on the other half of the property. All we're doing right now is getting this little section of it together such that people can come there, go to the restroom, have a cup of tea, <laughs> uh, have a place to and sit, sit. Yeah, yeah, and and that's yeah. that's kind of it. I mean, it's bare bones, so nobody needs to feel like, oh my gosh, if I don't get there next week, you know, it's all going to be over, and the place will be somebody else's, and I won't have any. Uh, uh-uh. uh. There's this is a this is a slow process, just as mm-hmm. creating the um, the Zen Monastery Peace Center was a slow process, mm-hmm. many years. Yeah. Yes, many, many years and, and an unfolding, uh, what drops in, right, Jerry, two more examples of the process we're talking about. 
So we sent out those pictures of that tree that has been damaged in your yes. blog. And there's somebody yeah. in Sangha who absolutely jumped on it and has looked at it and sent pictures of it to an arborist. And, and in some senses has taken a stewardship role for rescuing yes. that tree, right? Yes. Just is, as is, guiding, is guiding us through a process that we would not have, uh, as they say, the bandwidth right now to take on. We just, we just couldn't right. do that. We don't. Yeah. Yes. And, and the same way with the hooks, which was what the invitation of the hooks was, that you get to participate in, uh, I mean, it's, a, it's hard to imagine, but there are no good-looking hooks in stores anywhere in Scrim. It's a hard task <laughs> to find a hook that could grace the mass tent, right? And, and so there it is. This is something we need assistance with, and we can't find it here. So imagine the monastery and imagine the, 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 the place in which you want to practice and it's vibe and, uh, you know, we care for old things and it's wabi-sabi. And so here's a stewardship opportunity. Here's how you could participate by sending us and finding a hook that fits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah? And yeah. That, those are yes. the kinds of, of, of invitations that Sangha can uh, look out for because as this place develops, there will be more formalized ways in which we could tell everybody what is going on or if you come here and you see what's going on, and then you, you, you step in and you steward something that uh, the three people currently living in Scrim won't be able to take on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, for instance, uh, we needed, a, uh, believe it or not, a curtain for the sink. <laughs> and so <laughs> somebody, somebody in Sangha uh, made us a, a fabulous curtain to cover up the disaster that is the sink. Um, and we have uh, heritages coming up with, that have windows, um, and they're going to need to have curtains. So we're hoping that somebody with a sewing machine and, and a little extra time can, uh, can take on a task like that for us. So, mm-hmm. yes. And then, again, the thing that you know I was talking about with the hooks is uh, and then I bet we need to wrap this up. <laughs> yes, um, we do. With the with the hooks, um, you you know that uh, thing of and you you come there and you see your hook. You know that's mm-hmm. the that's the one that you sent. That's your contribution, and it just makes it different um, because there's a little part of yourself. Your heart is uh, is invested in it. I I don't know if other people relate to that, but. I, I remember uh, one of the last uh, big work retreats we did at the monastery. Uh, people built uh, a fence between the pavilion and the the water storage tanks, and it was so fun. Okay, the process was so fun, and people talking about how what that was like to have made that sort of contribution. To that place it just uh, yeah it's a it's not ownership because of course we know we don't own anything but it's just giving a part of yourself to something mm-hmm. uh, that, that you treasure mm-hmm. I, I, I know we have to go but what that that drops in I mean we're reading braiding sweet grass right that's the mm-hmm. there, there's a relationship that is created yeah. that is yes. an intimacy when you when you you and whatever you're working with uh, interact, right? Like yes. a garden or yes. a plant yes. or, 
digging digging holes or creating fences or whatever. There's a transformation that you become a part of that and that becomes a part of you. And without that yes. kind of um, deep relating, it doesn't happen. And that's yeah. what we're talking about. That's a transformation. Yep. That There's a non-separation that gets established. And it's very, yes. very similar to what we're doing in spiritual practice to 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 be to feel connected to all of it, right? To feel a part yes. of all of it, to feel yes. as it. And that is yes. that that has to come from that deep relating, that intimacy. Yes, and we feel that with one another in sangha. Yes. Right? And now it's the opportunity to extend that to the home that we all share and that we're all creating for again for ourselves and for one another mm. all right yeah. well, i bet you have a show exciting. to do very do. exciting thank you very much Sherry. thank you oh pleasure anytime turning it back to you michael wonderful thank you ashwini and thank you sherry and ashwini i'm going to practice restraint and religious observances because that was a fabulous conversation and mm. we mm-hmm. Yes. And we have another caller here. Next caller, you are now live on the air, and would you please introduce yourself? Yes, uh, this is Jamie in uh, Newark, Delaware. And I I have a question or a subject I want to uh, explore, which is uh, when we're when we're talking about doing no harm and and being more compassionate towards ourselves and others and, and moving in that direction, and, uh, sometimes I think we're, we're or I perceive that the, the idea is to no longer, or maybe I should no longer have opinions about you know, social issues or uh, you know what's going on in the world. But as I think about it, it seems like the ego wants to, well, I know for a fact, the ego wants to, to blame other people and, you know, uh, and see things in a, in a confrontational way or in a negative way. But it seems like if the practice would, might, to me, my experience is that I'm encouraged to to be be positive and be for something more so than be against something. Does that make sense? I think in so. Words, Would you give me an example, a concrete example? Well, Jamie, for example, well, what what would what what would be something uh-huh. that you are looking at in that realm or that area? Well, let's say that environment. When it comes to the environment, I would. I, I believe that we should uh, uh, use less pesticides or protect the environment more. But I could choose to, so I have a, an opinion about that that I know some people will agree with and some people won't. And they're not just two opinions. They're multiple opinions about something. It's not just mm-hmm. you know, two uh-huh. opinions. But so, so there, I, I could focus on blaming you. people. Uh-huh. Yes, you could. Yeah. So, so let me let me make sure there's, the vocabulary here is so important, right? So, I think so. what you have 
found out about pesticides is that it harms the earth and it causes diseases if it's ingested. And so Correct. from a place of deep caring, you would rather that, the, that, that pesticides are not used, right? Yeah. So, so, so there's that place of, I think it's a very, very important place of being really clear when there's information that the heart registers from a place of caring, which informs yeah. your actions. And when it becomes a conversation that leads to suffering, alienation, and separation. Cool. Okay. Yeah, right? that's a big, a big difference. Uh, once, once, there's no division in, in the compassion. Whereas, when I'm suffering, there, there, there's more yeah, criticism or person. more division. Yes. Yeah, so the conversation, there's a conversation conditioned mind that says, how can people be so stupid? How can they, how can they do this? Yes. Why can't the government do something? Uh, and so if we really record about that, we recognize that it comes from a deep, at least for me, it comes from a deep place of caring and a sense of mm-hmm. frustration that I, I can't control this. I'm subject to it and I can't control it, Right. And maybe but the, it is my best opportunity to find that place in me that is that breaks the heart open. Right. And in and, and doing that, as we're talking right now, it occurs to me that part of that is holding everybody else in compassion at the same time I'm I'm compa- I have this view or this opening of my, of my compassion, whereas I'm yes. more I'm sometimes ego's inclined to to not hold everybody else in compassion and use it as a means of not holding other people in compassion. That's right, that and it's a sense. very subtle place, right? Because if you think about yeah. what we're practicing, attention on awareness, it's witnessing without judgment, right? So that means there's no yes. ego involved. I do notice, it's, it's like saying if I touch something hot, it's going to burn. Well, if I put uh, uh, toxins in the soil, it's going to harm the soil. I mean, those are, mm-hmm. that's information. It's, is it true, right? We're looking at that in the year long. Is it true? Yes, it's true. This is a fact. But that Correct. doesn't mean yeah. that it needs to translate into a place of suffering where there's blame. all of the ego bamboozles come into place, comparison and it's blame and it's all mm-hmm. of that. And it also doesn't, be, because being in compassion doesn't mean that we've got to say, oh, that we don't have to hold, we don't have to extend compassion to egos in operation. Right? People are unconscious, people pollute the environment. Uh, we can say that they're all identified. They're so far away from the love that they are that they don't, they don't come from an orientation of what's compassionate for all. That's understanding, right? Yeah, they're not in That's touch not with... That's not place. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we've been there. We've been, we've been so identified that oh, yeah. we, we've also caused harm. That's compassion. Uh-huh. But that doesn't mean yeah. we necessarily need to condone it or not act against it if it's available to you right. to participate in going and cleaning up a, a pest dump site or whatever it is, or hand out leaflets to say just buy organic, 
if you can find a way to, to act from your belief, I mean act from your caring, not belief, then that's available for you to redress it. But it isn't something that ego takes and makes you feel miserable about and resentful right. and upset and angry and separate from that place of love in you. Right. If it's said with compassion, or if I speak to other people or make my viewpoint known, but it is with compassion that that's different than getting ego involved. It is, and it's a very challenging place, right? Yes, uh, no. Jamie, no. because most people, most, most, that's one of those places where uh, uh, we, 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 we pause to see whether that, that expression of that uh, point of view is helpful. It really is a forum. Somebody is receptive to it. Or we start, we start saying something, and you can notice the identification creep up in everybody else, and, it, and, it's, and it's leading to a, within quote, harmful situation, not a wholesome, wholesome situation, because everybody's getting mm-hmm. identified and entrenched in their ego position. Right. Maybe right. that helps you know that maybe this isn't the person I want to have this conversation with. Because right. it's not, it's triggering me and it's triggering the other person. And so what's most compassionate for all might be to save us, save us all from getting identified. Right. Further. Right. Because it has been suggested to me, not, not by other people outside of the program, that, that the uh, answer is to not take any position that could be potentially uh, controversial, but I, you know, I don't think that that's what we're yeah. saying. Well, uh-huh. as, uh, as the, sixth, <laughs> the third patriarch said, right, cease to cherish opinions. <laughs> there, is, there is the wisdom of recognizing that, all, that there, is, there, is an, there is a way in which any opinion I have or any preference I have can further suffering, right? But that yes. there is nothing in uh, there's nothing. I mean, Sherry would tell us all. Sherry is an example of this. That when there is a there is something to address, we do want to address it. But we want mm-hmm. to address it from that place of awareness of presence. If life is asking me to address something, then I move into that place from a place of awareness, from a place of presence, from the most centered place I can get to. Because otherwise, I'm simply perpetuating or contributing to the problem. If I can come from a place of there's nothing wrong, then I might right. actually be a contribution. Right. So I guess I need to be careful about my motivations and, and, and be a, keep looking at where I'm coming from. Well, yes, and, and it's a complete workshop, right? Because you don't know where you're coming from until you get out there and you express an opinion and somebody takes a swing at you, right? <laughs> then you can see, right. oh, I can, I, I can look at what's going on for me, um, what happened there, what, what, and, and the only place in which the transformation happens is within. That I arrive at the clarity of whatever the clarity is for me, which could, which could be, Everything from how I can be okay with 
the depth of my caring and the disappointment that I feel about what's happening, uh, mm-hmm. about my feeling of frustration or my feeling of uh, being attacked by this person, and even spiritually speaking, how at some level, how can I be all right? How can I stay in love when there's, you know, the planet is being poisoned? It's a very hard place to, to get to a, a sense of okayness, spiritually speaking. Well, I, I, I'll continue to explore uh, the subject, and I, and I know when ego gets involved that, that, that there's something's not, uh, I still need to work on it. Absolutely. That we know for a fact, right? When egos involved, <laughs> when we feel uncomfortable and and oppositional and you know conflicted and irritable and resentful, <laughs> there's a lot of work that we need to do, right? We need oh, to look right. at our process. How am how am I disconnected from the love and caring that Connected. caused me to have this opinion in the first place? All right, now, uh, that as you said, it, it can be a workshop. Oh, my God. So I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Gosh. Okay. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you. Good night. Bye. Thanks for joining us, Jamie. And Ashwini, we're at three minutes to the hour here. Shall we wrap it up, or did you want to talk with another caller? Well, I doubt we could get... Well, let's try it. We often get a three minute, a fabulous three-minute call on the morning show. Well, let's, <laughs> let's give it a whirl. All right. Next caller, you are now yes. live on the air, and would you hi. please introduce yourself? Yes, hi, this is Art. Hey, Art. Hey, Art. Hey, uh, thank you so much. Um, I'm so excited. Uh, so I, I've, I've been practicing the year-long retreat and uh, um, just continuing my recording and listening, and I, I'm excited about the stuff going on. In SQUIM, you know, I think it's wonderful to hear all that great news. Um, I feel very connected to Sangha. Thank you so much. Um, uh, something that, that I thought I'd, I'd, I'd bring up just as a, uh, I had an insight today that conditioning, uh, it, it's, it's pretty obvious that conditioning uh, doesn't want me to communicate, you know, to, to speak, um, especially, you know, uh, in regard to uh, compassionate speech that makes for clarity, especially when I'm getting a beating. Uh-huh. That you're not allowed to speak when you're getting a beating? Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you say speak, uh, do you mean pick up the recorder and talk about what's going on for you or say something to somebody or... Yes, yep, yes, that's right. Uh, I end up, you know, I end up uh, being caught in the conversation in the head. And um, uh, what I've, no- I, I have a, a sl- very slight speech impediment. I, I stutter occasionally, especially when I'm under stress. And um, mm-hmm. and I just, you know, I'm just starting to to relate. Uh, I mean, sure, if I'm getting a beating, I'm not going to be able to talk. I'm going to stutter, you know? What an important insight. Yes, 
Because if the attention is on a, on a conversation, completely on a conversation, there is no one left, nothing left over to engage in the moment, right? And that's such a powerful insight to have that the reason that right. I'm not able to, be, to give voice to anything is because my attention is completely riveted on that self-hating conversation. And to know that is such, is a, first, is such a step towards right. freedom. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, so thank you. I, uh, gosh, I'm so happy. I'm so grateful that, um, uh, you know, uh, I got the opportunity to, to, to share tonight. Um, and, uh, yeah, thanks. And, and deep gosh, show. Thank you, Art. Thank you for that. And, uh, it, you know, it felt a little bit rushed that we didn't spend time celebrating the power of that insight. But what a tremendous, <laughs> uh, oh, what a tremendous uh, noticing, and a tremendous awareness. Yeah. Because it is, it is the only place where you can make a choice, right? Now that I know where the attention is, I, I have the opportunity to explore it. I have the opportunity to take apart the suffering. I have the opportunity to listen to the human being caught in that yeah. self-hating message, those yes. self-hating conversations. And finally, free myself from that conditioning. Yes, Wonderful. yes. Oh, wow. I know. And yes, it's. it's uh, oh gosh, it, it's it's exciting. And um, anyway, it's such new territory. Yeah. Mm. Well, we look forward to hearing more from you as you explore that territory. Okay. Yep. Me too. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Uh, go happy. Thanks, Art. Go happy. Mm-hmm. Thanks for joining us, Art. And Art, I cannot mute you, so if you could mute yourself, that'd be great. Sure. And Ashwini, we are at the top of the hour here. So thank mm-hmm. you. That is a fabulous three-minute conversation. <laughs> yes, it was. Once again, I'm grateful mm-hmm. for that. And uh, thank you, and thanks, thanks to everyone, and go happy. Go happy. Take care, Michael. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.